just want to start by acknowledging that uh, as we talk about mission, there can easily be a mission fatigue. Uh, and I just want to acknowledge that here because I know some of you who have been following Jesus, when we talk about mission, suddenly it can feel a lot of a weight of guilt, a heaviness, uh, and, and maybe you're just kind of, this is uncomfortable to talk about. But I want to encourage us tonight that, one, God has never left it. He's he's with us on this mission. But also, I think we're going to teach Scripture. And as we teach Scripture, uh, we see that mission is really important to God. And so it should be important to us. And so we're going to be uncomfortable sometimes as we preach God's Word. Uh, But also, I think uh, there's a sense that we can be better equipped for this mission. And the first thing is, as Jens Voigt, he has his eyes on the yellow jersey. If we have our eyes on the prize, what it's all about, uh, we're going to be able to get through this fatigue. Uh, so as I said, we're in 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians is this beautiful letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. The first half of the letter is where he kind of addresses this disunity and division and mess. It was a messy church. They had a lot of stuff going on. And Paul, he writes this letter to them, which really is a reply. They've written him a letter. He then replies with this letter. And the first half of the letter, he talks about how the gospel is the foundation of who they are and the foundation of their unity. So we looked at that last year, how uh, the gospel is what is the power, what is the unity, and how it then transforms us as we be the church. And then we got to this section of chapter 8 where they've asked Paul a question about, can they eat food sacrificed to idols? Now, that's not really an issue for us in our time, but it was this important question of you know, how, how we live and how we, what we do, does it matter? And Paul said, in terms of food sacrifice to idols, he says, it, you can eat it because there's, idols are nothing and all food is given for, for our enjoyment. But he says, if that food and eating that food causes people to stumble and is a problem for others, he says, don't do it. I'm going to lay down my freedom for the sake of love. And within this context, I think it's really important I give this because I'll get, to, get back to the prize in a minute. He kind of shifts gear and he starts talking about his call as a gospel minister. And he says, I'm going to do nothing that causes anything that might stumble in, this, in, in sharing this gospel. As we see in that verse there, on the contrary, we put up nothing rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on and he says, and he says, am I free? Yes, I'm free. But he says, I'm going to make myself a slave. Pretty radical thing to say, but why does he do that? He says, I'm going to become a slave to people so that I might become like them, so that they might be saved, that I might win them. He says, though I'm free, belong to no one. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I've become all things to all people by all possible means that I might save some. There's an implication there that people are in need of saving. And he says what he's doing is that they might experience this salvation of God. And at the end of this section, you know, this is all in context of Paul's argument. At the end in chapter 10, uh, there's this famous verse that Christians often talk about. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, and this is in context of them eating food, sacrifices, idols. He says, "Whether whether you eat or drink, We do it all for the glory of God. But I want you to notice the next verse. He says, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. An implication there that there are Jews and Greeks that they're mingling with that aren't part of the church, that need the good news. And then he says, 
Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many that they may be saved. So this is the context of where Paul is going to, we're going to read the passage for tonight. This is the context that we need to see. It's actually part of our identity of the church. Paul's heart, and by extension, our heart, is that we want to see people come to know this great, amazing, incredible news of Jesus. That they might be saved from their, their, their sin and death and the wrath of God upon them, that God's judgment. There is this hope of salvation, though, and we want people to know it. We want people to know God's grace. And so that's why over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at chapters 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians. And I've called this series Mission-Minded, because I think this is the context of, of Paul's message here, is that we have this mission mind. And so tonight is about mission readiness. Next week, mission integrity, mission loyalty, and then mission posture. I'm really looking forward as we as we be stressed and grown and to, to be the people that God has called us to be on mission. So I'm going to pray for us now. I believe God's word is powerful and he wants to speak. It's the center of what we do. And so let me ask God to come and speak and give us clarity. Dear God, thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Father, that you would give us great uh, clarity, uh, that you would bring comfort, uh, you would bring a revelation of who you are. But also pray, Lord, that you would um, transform us to be the people you want us to be. That, that if there's things in our lives that's not of you, if there's ways that we're living that is uh, not in line with your will, I pray that your word would come and encourage and challenge us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. We heard it read uh, before. Uh, let me read that verse 24 again for you. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So Paul here, he's comparing the Christian life to running a race. And I want to explain that what that means is not that we're in a competition. It's not as if we're competing against others. But rather his point is that there is a prize in mind. In Paul's time, uh, the Olympic Games were a thing and they were pretty big. And so he's looking in his context. He's in, I mean, Corinth is kind of around Greece and they're looking at these Olympians training and competing. And he sees that and he's like, look, that's pretty good, but actually we've got something better. And in a similar way, that prize is pretty good. The prize that we're looking to is far far greater. The prize. See, Christians are in a race. We're actually working towards something. We have a purpose. We have a destination. Uh, I was watching WandaVision, great show, uh, and there's this, sh uh, there's this uh, scene where Vision is sitting in an office, and he's kind of typing. He's doing these computational forms, and he has this moment of kind of this existential crisis. He's like, what, is what are we actually doing here in this office? And he kind of turns to his friend Norm and he says, Norm, what is, what is the meaning of this work? He says, does our company make anything? And Norm says, no. He says, does our company buy or sell anything? And Norm says, no. You know, he says, why, why are we doing what we're doing? And 
Norm says, we, we do computational forms. That's what we do, and you do it really well. And vision, he just kind of, it doesn't sit with him because he realizes that it's all an illusion. I think for the world, many of us are just living in this illusion of what is the meaning of our life? Is there any purpose? You see, for the Christian, we have a purpose. We're in a race. There's actually a destination, a prize that we're working towards. So the question then is, what is that prize? Uh, but I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 12, because when we talk about running a race, uh, this is really helpful. Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on the prize, on Jesus. So what is the prize? Well, firstly, I want to say language is important. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27 again. Let's read this. It says, run in such a way as to get the prize. See, the first thing that I want to tell you guys is that for those who believe in Jesus, we do not earn the prize. That is given to us. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2 talks about you are dead in your sins. Nothing you can do about that. But God, in his rich mercy, he makes us alive with Christ and he seats us in the heavenly realms. So in some sense, we have attained that resurrection of the dead. That is ours we are alive in Christ, the prize we can cling on to, and nothing can take that away. So we don't earn this prize, but he says we're actually called to run in such a way as to get the prize. And so to explain this, I think we should go to Philippians 3. Uh, this is the only other time in the Greek that the word prize is written in the Bible. I think this gives some cool context. Uh, Philippians 3 Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. You see, Christ has taken hold of us. He's made us alive. But in some sense, we're still called to press on into him. We're not just, we don't just sit on our bums. There's a sense that we're actually called to something. So brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the prize, is our heavenward call. That's where we're going. That's what we're looking towards. That's what we're living for, is that we might be transformed by God to be this new resurrected person. So is that what the prize is? Jesus and the resurrection. I think so. But I think, like I was saying before, the context of 1 Corinthians is also really important because he's just talked about winning people. So he says, 
Verse 22, the verse before, he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He's talking about winning people to Christ. And so I want to make an argument that the prize, yes, is our inheritance in heaven, this, this heavenward uh, resurrection of Christ. But I think the prize also is Paul's got in mind is that he might share that with others and that he might press on in the goal of seeing others come with him to experience this amazing eternity with God, that they would be reconciled to God. So in some sense, the prize is people that he might win to God. I mean, God does the work, but also God's going to use Paul to help win others. And so for us, that our prize would be God himself, living for that and living for not just life now, but life eternity, but also living so that others might hear that and they too might be in eternity with us. You know, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, I'll come back to this at the end of our message tonight, but he says, he talks about the Thessalonians and he says, you are my joy and my crown and what I glory in. He looks at these people that he's helped to know Jesus and he's like, that's what I'm going to celebrate. He's like, you have discovered amazing life and he actually celebrates. That is an incredible prize. And that's why I think mission is important. And that's why I think mission readiness is important. So coming back when we talked about Yen's voice, he goes into strict training to win the prize. So too, Paul's going to say preparation matters, that we would actually be prepared for the race that he's called us to. We need to keep our eyes on the prize. That's our motivator. But actually, we might prepare ourselves to be more effective in the race, right? Prepare ourselves to be more effective in the race. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. You see, he wants to be ready for the race. He wants to prepare himself. And it's not aimless. I love that picture of just a boxer kind of beating the air. It's just kind of useless. It's like if Jens Voigt was to do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of push-ups when he's actually in a bike race, and it's not going to help him very much. And think about for us, are there things in our lives that we're doing that are kind of in the scheme of eternity, are just, we're just kind of wasting it, and we're not actually preparing ourselves for the race that we're in getting our hearts ready to be on mission to share this good news, right? Preparation matters. It's a sense of that we discipline ourselves. We make some sacrifices. We, we make some decisions that we might be effective to help share this good news. So what does mission readiness look like for us? Uh, if you're with us this morning, I talked at length about uh, in the morning service with, uh, with our church about the spirit in us. And so if you weren't there, I'd encourage you to have a listen to that message because that's the central piece is actually God is going to be working through us. But tonight I want to get a bit practical and I want to use a sporting illustration about being ready. Paul uses sporting illustrations, so I'm going to use one too. So if you don't like sport, I'm sorry, uh, but just uh, bear with us tonight. Uh, But I want to get practical about how can we be mission ready? Remember, keeping in mind that the Spirit is in us, how can we actually be mission ready? And look, if you're not a Christian with us, again, I just want to say you're so welcome here. And I might be like, whoa, this is intense. 
Um, but we're not ashamed that we think this is good news. We want to share it and we want to better ourselves so that people will experience this good news. So what does mission readiness look like for us? There's heaps of things we could talk about, but I want to suggest five things. Uh, Paul doesn't really go practical when he talks about strict training. So I've taken five things out of Scripture that I think will help us to be mission ready. Are you ready? George is ready. Come on. uh, Number one, stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. John chapter 15, remain in me. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So my first point about being mission ready is we need to be drawing life from the vine. And if you're not connected to God, if you're not close to God, if you're not hydrating yourself with, with, his, with, with prayer and, and His Word, we're not going to be effective in the mission. We're going to be powerless in the mission. Paul says, I mean, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And so that's the first point. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Stay connected. Stay close to God. And I think we'll be in a better place uh, to be ready. Number two, put yourself in a position to be a threat or to, to make a difference. Uh, I used to play footy in high school, and I was the fullback. And if I was to sit in the, in the goal square for the whole game, and the full forward just ran off, I would not be able to make a difference in the game. But actually, I needed to position myself to be effective. And I think that's a good illustration for what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22. I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. So I want to ask yourself, what sort of position are you in to make a difference in the mission? Maybe thinking about where you spend your time, where you sit at lunch, what, what you, where you go uh, when you have free time, what sort of uh, activities that you do outside of a work. Do you ever think about placing yourself in a context that you might be able to be a blessing and a witness to those around you, right? But we don't just sit in our comfortable bubbles. We don't just sit in the, in, the, in the goal square. We actually would go somewhere that we might potentially make a difference that people would hear this good news. Might be here, but also God might be calling you to a context around the world. Who knows? Believe the Spirit can do great things and lead us. So put yourself in a position. That's a way we can be mission ready is to actually be somewhere on mission. Maybe sign up for a camp or sign up for green team or, or actually put yourself in a position that you might make a difference. Uh, be a threat is a bit, uh, bit harsh. We're not a threat to people, but you know what I mean. Make a difference in the mission. Number three, keep an eye on the clock. Here's one for all the basketball fans. Uh, a buzzer beater. A uh, one... Uh, Colossians 4 verse 5 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And Ephesians 5 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You see, our time is limited. There will come a time where we won't have any more opportunity to share this news. And in some sense, there's an urgency to the mission. And so we need to keep our eyes on the clock in the sense that our time is limited. And so opportunities matter. 
And we should be taking them. I think that's a helpful challenge for us. How we can be mission ready is keeping our eye on the clock. That our, that our God is, he's promised that he's going to return. That Jesus will come again and restore all things. And that even our own lives, we have limited time for the mission. So number four, know the gameplay. Know the gameplay. Uh, in uh, this is NFL, for those who don't know what is going on there. This is American football. Uh, they have certain plays that they need to know to be able to make a difference in their mission, the goal of winning the game. And so for us, we have a message that we are sharing. And as we're mission ready, as we go into strict training, do you know what the gameplay is? Do you know what the message is? The good news of Jesus uh, let me read to you 1 Peter 3. It says, But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do you have a reason for the hope that you have in Christ? And are you ready to share it? If someone was to ask you, you know, why do you believe in God? Why is Jesus, who, you know, why, why do you do that? Are you able to share with them this good news? And if you're not able to share that and you do believe it, my encouragement is to you is to, to get equipped to be able to share better because I believe there is reasons for the hope that we have and we can be confident in that, that Jesus is risen from the dead, that we do have new life in him. So I encourage each of us, not just pastors, but all of us, that we would be ready to share God's word and share the gospel. So if you don't know what that is, a way we can be ready why we can train ourselves is actually to get good at sharing it. So if that takes reading books, if, it took, if there's equipping sessions on it, make the most of every opportunity to know the gameplay. And finally, number five, support your team. I love this picture of rowers because they're, they're so dependent on each other. And the same way as the church, we're called to depend and support each other. So Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is really important. We're not, we're not lone wolves when it comes to mission. We're actually called a church, a body, a family. And we're called to support and encourage each other. The way we can be mission ready is to champion one another, rely on each other, pray for each other. If your friend comes to church and they've brought a friend, why don't you help them, get alongside them, welcome them. Let's spur one another on and support your team. So there are five things. I'm sure you might be able to think of other ways we can be mission ready. Thinking again about the prize. We're running in such a way as to win the prize. Paul says he goes into strict training preparation. I wonder out of those five things, which ones are you good at? Which ones maybe you struggle in. Uh, on Wednesday night at Community Group, we're going to be unpacking this a bit deeper, so I encourage you to get along. Uh, if you're not part of a community group, you want to be part of our communities, we meet Wednesday nights in the uh, church office building just to our right here uh, for young adults. You're welcome to come along. Uh, but really important that we think about how can we be mission ready. And I just want to finish tonight with the promise. So we've looked at the prize, the preparation and to finish the promise. Verse 25. They do it to get a crown that will not last. You know, a yellow jersey is lovely, 
But that thing is actually useless. It's going away. It will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is the promise of an eternal crown. If you think about precious metals, maybe you're wearing some kind of jewelry, or think about those, those precious, like gold or, or metal. Those things are so valuable because they last often a long, 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 long time. It's pretty valuable. The crown that we'll, we will receive, Paul says, will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Is there anything more precious than that? And that's why I'm going to read to you 1 Thessalonians 2 again. Paul says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? He's talking to the Thessalonian church. Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. That's an amazing prize. And that's an incredible promise. And so for you, I wonder if you ever thought about the moment when you're going to see Jesus face to face, living in eternity in the new creation, the new earth that he's going to restore all things. That moment where you're going to see your friend that you've been praying for, that you've been seeking to get alongside and share the hope with, and that the hope is that they come and they see and God works in their hearts, that they be saved, that that would be a sweet moment and that prize would be for eternity. It's incredible. And that's our hope here as a church is that we're on mission. We're on mission for something that matters and that's people's lives. They're eternal souls. Absolutely, I believe God is the one who does the work and it's the Spirit who's going to work in hearts to see Him. But He has invited us to be partners in this mission. That's why as we read this stuff, I know it's challenging, but I think a bit of bit of challenge is good. We need to be in preparation. We want to be on mission. We want to make a difference for him. And so we need God. We need God for that. I'm seeing a lot of uh, heavy faces. I don't know how we're feeling about this, and maybe we need God to do a work in our hearts. Um, but I think there's imperative, this kind of encouragement from 1 Corinthians, as Paul's writing this, is that we would make ourselves ready. We would do things that matter that people would come to know Christ. We would do all this, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, to the glory of God. We put no stumbling block in people's way that they might be saved. Let that be our beating heart. So we know Christ as we press into God is that we want others to share in this good news. So let me pray for us. Our Father God, we thank you so much for everything that you have done for us. Our Lord, we know that our lives don't measure up to your holiness, to your goodness. And we have sinned and we have shamed you. And yet you are so rich in mercy to love us and to die for us that we can come near to you. I thank you that that is secure and that's forever. But I know, Lord, as Paul's just reminded, we don't want to be running this race aimlessly. We don't want our lives to just uh, just fade away into nothing. We want it to have 
purpose. We want it to count for something. And I just pray for each one of these guys here and the, and the burdens that they might be carrying. I pray for your confidence to fill their heart now. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a vision of eternity, a vision of what this is all about, that there is purpose, that there is a greater meaning, that, Lord, you are doing a great work in reconciling all things to yourself, that we are not left alone, but that there is hope, that there is peace, that there is love, that there is joy to be had. So, Lord, would that overflow from our hearts. Help us, Lord. Wake us up. Would we not just go through the motions, punch the air aimlessly. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be prepared and to be willing to be on mission for what you've called us to. Lord, that many might be saved. We know many of us around us, we just bring to heart those that we know who need this saving. And God, you are so rich in mercy and you long to save them. We, we invite you, Lord, Lord, say, use us. Use us that you might save some. God, we, we, we know that we may feel insignificant and powerless, but we believe, God, you're going to fill us with your Spirit. You're going to use us and that your Word is powerful and never returns void. So God, help us this week to make ourselves ready to do that discipline, to go into strict training, to do what matters, to make something of our lives for you, Lord. And in all of that, Lord, to have humility when we fail, humility when we succeed. We're just dependent upon you, Lord. We lay our lives down at you and we're going to press on, fixing our eyes on you. We're going to lay aside all the sin that entangles us, Lord. We, 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 we turn away from that. And God, we fix our eyes on you. We know that you're the perfecter of our faith. We have our eyes on you, Lord. We trust you. We thank you in Jesus' name.